We are back, and in this hour, we are talking to Manana Kane. She is Michaela's mom, and she's also the owner of Bridge Boutique and Bridge Home. And also, Roxy Sewell is here. She is Michaela's therapist, and Michaela is a 16-year-old uh, teenager who happens to be on the autism spectrum. She's nonverbal, and her journey with autism is now uh, a part of, well, it's, it is, been made into a documentary called Michaela's Voice, A Letter to the World. And this documentary just won an honorable mention at the Slam Dance Film Festival uh, just on January 21st. I'm so excited to have Manana and uh, her therapist or uh, Michaela's therapy, uh, therapist Roxy joining me later in the week. We're going to be talking to Manana's husband and Michaela's dad. Uh, as well as one of the other producers of this documentary. Welcome, Manana, and welcome, Roxy. Thank you both for joining me. Uh, I'm always uh, up for a good autism story, and I love to see folks uh, turn what some people may think is anguish into advocacy and use uh, filmmaking, documentary making as a way to tell a story. So let me start with you, Mom. Uh, tell us about your daughter, uh, Michaela. She's 16 now, uh, but tell us, you know, what she was like as a, a toddler and particularly what you noticed in the early stages of her life to cause you to uh, seek out an evaluation that ultimately led to her being diagnosed uh, with autism. Well, first of all, I just want to do a mic check. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Secondly, thank you so much for reaching out to me and even wanting to talk to me and learn more about my family. Um, that in itself is a dream come true and something that we are passionate about is sharing our story, um, sharing Michaela's story because we are so proud of her and her journey. And we work hard for this and continue to work hard for it. Um, so it is very nice to be acknowledged, not only through Slam Dance picking up our documentary, but platforms like yours who are interested in even talking and learning more about the journey. Um, so to answer your question, Michaela is our second child. Uh, we have three children. Um, my oldest is 20. She just turned 20. And um, Michaela is my second child. Um, Amani, which is our first child, came out just stellar. She was a star from when she was born, uh, hit all the marks. So we had a guideline. And I say that because I know so many mothers who the autistic child is their first and it's all they know. For us, it wasn't. We did have a child before Michaela who hit all the milestones. We we bought the book, we looked, we researched, we tried to be the best parents we could be from the first child. So by the time we had our second child, we kind of noticed very early on that she wasn't hitting the same milestones mm -hmm. as her oldest sibling. And the first diagnosis came, actually, even though we've seen it, I do, I do remember one day we were um, on a family trip and just ironically we're watching TV together. And that time autism was kind of new. You know, it wasn't something that people were really talking about. It was this new thing that was taking 
you know, the world by storm and specifically America by storm. And people were starting to report about it. So Michaela was born in 2007. So in 2008, we're watching a program and they start talking about the science of autism. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I literally just looked at each other and basically burst, burst, we both burst out into tears. Like, oh God, this is our child. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it wasn't until we sent her to school for the first time, we tried to send her to a daycare and the daycare called us in when she was about 18 months. Uh, We had started the journey. We had started really noticing it at 14 months. Mm -hmm. Um, We started noticing the, the eye contact wasn't there. And, you know, there was just certain things. She wasn't hitting the milestones. Um, But at 18 months, she was at a preschool and they called us in and they said, I'm so sorry, but we can't help your child. Um, We think that you need to seek services and you know other help for her and we were like you, well, let me just ask you how that make you feel manana we we hear that i wanted to lot. fight <laughs> i was ready to fight i was like what you know we had just moved to georgia we were living in buckhead we sent her to a very prestigious school so you know my honest reaction i was ready to fight like you gonna call me in the office and tell me you can't service my child and then leave me with absolutely no resources. I was pissed. I was so furious. And my husband, who's the more calm one, (laughs) was like, we got this. And we did. We gathered ourselves. We've already had the tears. We already kind of knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And we both were just like, let's figure this out. And we did. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny how to the right of us of where we lived in Atlanta on uh, Peachtree, to the right was Buckhead. Mm -hmm. But to the left of us was a town called Tucker. So we switched directions. We went to Tucker. And um, through our research, we found programs. Um, We had to seek them ourselves. I, I think the school told us, they was like, Talk to babies can't wait. And this is what families need to know. There's always resources out there. You know, life is something that so many of us are experiencing. <laughs> We're not the only one living this thing. So someone else is going through what you're going through. And uh, for here, for us in Georgia, it was babies can't wait. Mm-hmm. And we reached out to them, but we took our research a little step further and found what are some schools, some facilities, some institutions that we could partner with. And we found a school that was not to the right, but to the left of us. The Elaine Clark Center was pretty much the same distance as the preschool. And we were able to get her into a facility that specialized in uh, special needs children. And they were our start into the autism journey. So yeah, it's, no, let me just stop for a second. I, I know you said your husband was calm. You said you guys had already uh, suspected that there could be something based yeah. on this program that you watched on television. But for a lot of parents, when they get that diagnosis, they may have some suspicion. They may think oh. that something's not right. But it's something about being told that having those words 
said out loud that causes a lot of parents to go into literally like a state of grief. Did you ever have that where you felt like you were grieving, like maybe you had lost something? And, and the something being maybe hopes and dreams that you had for your daughter. I would not say hopes and dreams. I would just say um, I didn't know what to do. So I did go through a period of grief. Um, I will say it was very brief. You know, it probably was a matter of hours before we both were like on the internet researching and figuring it out. Um, but I will say that the grief happened before someone even told us. Um, the grief happened when we watched the TV show. The phone call from the uh, from the school was kind of confirmation. The anger was that they didn't provide us a roadmap or resources uh, to help us along the journey we were about to embark. Let me ask you this. So was she diagnosed at that school? No. Was, okay, so where did you get the official? Did you go to a pediatric doctor? Did you go to a psychologist? Like, who gave you and your husband the official diagnosis? Like I said, I think at that point in 2008 to, that their autism was kind of new. So you had to really research and really fight for answers. Um, so for us, her official diagnosis of autism didn't come until later. In the beginning, what age? it was... What age? When you say later, what age was she? Oh, she probably got diagnosed. Like I said, we are, we're aggressive. You know, my husband comes from a family of education and we're both just, you know, we're going to figure this out. Um, we're both entrepreneurs. So I just think my husband and I always operate with, we're going to figure this out and we're going to win. We're going, you know, we're going to make it happen. So I think we went into overdrive and we're still in overdrive, <laughs> which is why we did the documentary. <laughs> um, so I think that we hit the pavement really hard and sought answers. Our denial period um, was very short. And I just think it's just due to who we are. Um, it was very short. We went to the Elaine Clark Center in Atlanta but we never stopped there. Um, we knew that she had to be with the best. So we sought out the Autism Market Center and um, we kept her at Elaine Clark for probably, probably a year to two. So she was at Elaine Clark at one and a half, um, between two and three years old. Um, we we adopted the uh, saying that the squeaky wheel is the one that is heard. And I told him we have to get her into the autism center. Mm -hmm. And this was probably, we didn't even have the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember when we got the diagnosis, but we knew what it was right. just based off of the research. And Let me ask you this, were you getting in addition to this uh, school program that you found for her in this, this neighboring city? Uh, did your daughter have any in-home interventions? And if so, what kinds of, of therapies were you doing at home? Yes. Yeah, so the 
it was first in-home intervention. So the school told us to reach out to the school that denied and basically kicked her out, said, reach out to Babies Can't Wait. Babies Can't Wait, which is a program here in Georgia, um, that's like your first step when your child is under five. Um, so Babies Can't Wait sent a therapist to our house to assess Michaela. And Let me step back for a second, uh, Manana. What were some of the warning signs? What were, what were some of the behaviors that you noticed that made you and your husband conclude that she had autism? It was the eye contact, okay. the non-existent eye contact. Okay. It was the isolation. Mm. It was the behavior. She would do this thing, and she still kind of does it, where she would just fall out. You know, like her temp, she had tantrums, but they were different. You know, they were hard to console. Um, so you could tell there was something going on. And, and, said, and she didn't have language, right? She, your daughter does not have language? No. Okay. Yeah, language she was not. She was uh, not developing no, uh, on the normal track. Right. Um, uh, let me hold that thought for me. When we come forward, obviously, we want to get your therapist into this conversation and want to continue yeah. about uh, Michaela's voice and learn more about this documentary that uh, just got an honorable mention at the Slam, Dan Slam Dance Film Festival. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back, and in this hour, we are talking about a new documentary about a 16-year-old, a nonverbal girl that's on the autism spectrum, and the name of the documentary is Michaela's Voice, A Letter to the World, and Michaela's mom is here in Manana, as well as Michaela's therapy, Roxy, and later in the week, we're going to be talking to Manana's husband and Roxy's, I'm sorry, and Michaela's dad, as well as one of the producers of the documentary. Uh, the documentary was entered into a film festival uh, the last couple of weeks. It was uh, actually at the Slam Dance Festival and it won an honorable mention and the hopes are for it to uh, travel the country so that others at other film festivals and other locations can uh, learn about Michaela's journey as well. Let me get you in here, Roxy. Uh, when did you become Malay uh, Michaela's therapist? Um, I think, can you guys hear me? All right. I think I started yes. working with Michaela and Manana. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think like a year and a half ago, two years ago. I can't exactly remember, but I think that's somewhere in that time frame. And when you uh, came on board, what, what kind of therapy are you providing to Michaela? So I was trained in, it's officially called Rapid Prompting Method. It's started by a woman called Soma, whose son is non-speaking. Um, and also in spelling to communicate, which is a theory that branched off of um, RPM, a rapid prompting method. So I came in with that. Um, it's educationally based. So when I when I started working with Michaela, uh, we worked pretty much strictly on lessons. So at, um, curriculum lessons. So science, um, a lot of mythology, language arts. Um, and then eventually that opened up to open communication, which is what you guys saw in the documentary. Tell us about uh, rapid uh, prompting, the rapid prompting method. How is it different from, you know, what you may, or what many people may be familiar with, which is uh, speech therapy, occupational therapy, ABA therapy. 
uh, for individuals on the spectrum? How is this uh, modality different? I personally think it's 100% different. It works on the whole body. So the, the brain, body, and I would even go deeper to like the spirit and the soul, all of it connected. And so what it does is it uses lessons, educational lessons to engage the mind. And by engaging the mind, the goal is to then regulate the body. And just to put it in an example, all of us, when we're really engaged mentally, if we're listening to a really great podcast or a great lecture or having a really invigorating conversation, our whole body language changes. Perhaps we lean in, we're less fidgety, we are... Um, we can maybe even speak without stuttering versus if we're bored, it's really hard for our body to be regulated. So that premise goes into RPM, which is if you engage the brain and provide high level curriculum, the body will follow. And then through that, you have the ability to then point purposely using gross motor skills to a letter. And it opens up the world of communication because rather than pointing to an iPad that just says, hamburger or bathroom, you can now write, I need to go to the bathroom or something that a lot of us take for granted is my stomach hurts or my head hurts or little things like Michaela's dad finding out that Michaela has been calling him daddy-o <laughs> for her whole life, which is like, we can giggle, but that's life-changing. And so um, it allows her authentic voice to come out rather than just pointing to a button and saying bed, hamburger or home. So I know that a lot of uh, individuals on the spectrum who are nonverbal use certain electronic devices. Uh, technology has advanced to the point where they can, uh, you, you mentioned an iPad, where they can actually use a device that looks like an iPad that they can type out a sentence or command, and then there's a voice component to that, uh, you know, so they're typing you know, I, I want breakfast, and then you're actually hearing through the device someone speak almost like a Siri on our smartphone saying, I want breakfast. Uh, do you work with Michaela with any kind of technology like that? Yeah, we use LAMP on her iPad. So I sometimes use a laminate letter board, which is what we used on the documentary. And I also sometimes use her iPad. The difference is, and there's different stages of the letter board, it depends on where you are in the body regulation and also um, there's motor-wise. So if we think about learning any new motor task, there's we, we don't just jump right into the deep end of the pool. Or if you want to learn baseball, you don't just get out and play with the big leagues. You have to start off with these small steps. I often compare it to tango dancing because I don't play baseball but if I wanted to learn tango dancing I could watch all the dancing with the stars in the world but I'm still not going to have to learn the steps I would have to actually learn each step individually and maybe I would be able to dance with my dance partner but my husband would have to learn it's kind of the same well not kind of it's the same thing on the letter boards so my job as a therapist is to figure out where is Michaela today where is her body today where is her emotional regulation today and then my job is to provide her the, the means of communication, whether that's the laminate board or the iPad, where she not only is challenged, because we do want to challenge her and push her, but we're also she feels successful because what we don't want is for her to feel defeated. So it's this um, balance that 
that's where I step in is figuring out how to support her. And not just it every day. It's honestly, it's every breath. There's sometimes where we start off with the iPad and then we go down to laminate and then we go back. So it's, it's just constantly figuring out what she and all my clients need. So Manana, one thing that's true about uh, families who have kids on the spectrum is uh, you often hear them talk about how expensive it is, uh, the therapy that Roxy just described, speech therapy, OT, even those families are those families that use more traditional therapies. Uh, some states have insurance mandates where the uh, certain kinds of therapies are reimbursed by insurance companies. But a therapy like this rapid prompting method, is this something that is covered in the state of Georgia by insurance or any kind of state funded program? Or is this something that you and your husband have to pay out of pocket for? Well, it's twofold. Um, in the beginning, we paid out of pocket and we do hire Roxy as our personal, which I call her our communicated, our communication partner. Um, However, through our advocate and having invested in it uh, personally, we have now been able to implement it in her IEP and through her school district. Mm -hmm. So right now, uh, Roxy is our private therapist, but Michaela does have another a communication partner that uses letter boarding with her in her school setting. Okay. So, and, and it's so funny. I was with a friend the other day and I casually said IEP about a kid I was talking about. And she says, what, what's that? And people who have neurotypical kids may never, ever hear the term IEP. They may never have any reason to know about it, but essentially it's a legal contract that parents make with their school districts that provide a list uh, outline of all the services because under federal law if you have a child with special needs and they meet certain criteria they can receive interventions in the school setting free of charge to the parents if actually funded by the federal government and then down through the state level so to get those services you go to a series of meetings there are a series of evaluations completed and then you come up with this document that's called an IEP that you know, kind of tells everyone the roadmap for what services will be provided and kind of keeps everybody accountable and everybody working together to provide the best interventions for a particular uh, child. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that the school district in uh, the town where you live is providing this communications support for Michaela because a lot of parents struggle to find uh, private therapies and many can't afford it, even if they can find it. And many find themselves literally in battles with their school district because even though these services are free under federal law, um, getting access to them can be a huge issue, particularly for black and brown families, particularly for families in low-income communities. So uh, if you are a family that has some, a child on the spectrum, make sure you have asked at least your school district for an evaluation. Uh, to schedule one of these IEP meetings uh, and to really educate you because parent education is something that you're entitled to under this federal statute uh, to educate you on what your rights are and what the rights of your child is. Uh, that's what's so disheartening to me about our system is that there's so many fragments and there's so many kids that fall through the cracks 
uh, because their parents don't have access to this kind of information, don't have financial resources. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have to commend you. I've never heard it explained so eloquently <laughs> and uh, with precision. Um, that is, I feel, my life's mission, part of one of my life's mission. Um, that is our foundation's mission. And that is what has led us on this journey to documenting and putting our story out there this is the reason we did the documentary. And I just want to let you know, this is our second documentary. Um, we have done another one before, you know, with the same attempt to highlight that we are a Brown family. This is our struggle and this is how we're doing it. And it can be done. The IEP process is a very hard one to navigate and one that a lot of people don't, like you said, know about that we have figured out, I feel, in our family and are still figuring it out. But you are absolutely right. This is the mission, is to educate parents that no matter where your child is, whether they are on the spectrum or whether they have whatever their challenge is, each child is entitled to an education and an education that meets them where they are. And that is what the IEP does. And we have hired an advocate throughout Michaela's life um, through research and noticing what others have done and not being afraid to talk about what we're going through and not being afraid to try different things. So the letterboarding is in Michaela's eye. It will be in her IEP. They are already paying for it um, and have already signed off on it. And you are absolutely right. It is up to the parent to make sure you are your, your child's biggest advocate, to make sure that you are doing the research and finding the people that can give you the report and give you the analysis so you can take that and say, this doctor said this. This therapist said this, let's have a discussion about it because this is what they said she needs or he to learn and to have an appropriate education. And one thing our family has done is navigate that process. No, kudos to you. Uh, it can be a very challenging process and lots of parents uh, struggle with it for good reason because you know if you're not a lawyer interpreting those federal and state statutes that are applicable, can be difficult. Uh, when we come and, forward, and just to about, be clear, hold, our hold advocate is a lawyer. All right, hold that thought for me. When we come forward, want to continue this conversation about uh, the documentary and why it's called Michaela's Voice: A Letter to the World. Stay with us, KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. We are back, and in this last segment, we are continuing our discussion about a new documentary called Michaela's Voice a letter to the world, and we are talking about 16-year-old uh, Michaela's uh, journey with autism, particularly her journey as a nonverbal teenager. Uh, her mom is here, Manana Kane, as well as one of her therapists, Roxy uh, Sewell. Roxy, let me ask you this. The, the journey, uh, Michaela's journey with autism as a nonverbal person, uh, there, for a lot of people, when they hear nonverbal, 
they think that that person is not able to communicate, but we know language is both expressive and receptive and someone can have really strong receptive language skills. And that means just understanding everything that's happening in their environment. And then they can be taught to express language in different ways, whether it's a letter board, as you and Manana have talked about, whether it's a electronic device, uh, their picture boards, there are all kinds of uh, innovative ways of that people who are nonverbal can learn to communicate uh, what has been the most effective with Michaela? I know you talked about, you know, using lettering and using her iPad, but, you know, are there any other techniques that you are using that allow her to express herself? First of all, I want to say you explained that so well. That was just a beautiful explanation. Yeah, I do know I've been living with autism all my life. So just, not, I got a little primer. I got a little ahead of you guys. My son's a little older than uh, Michaela. So it, it's uh, you, you just become it just becomes a part of your normal vocabulary as it is with manana. It's just our Could you share how old your son is? My son's 21. Oh. It, yeah, he's uh, he has limited verbal skills. Some people would say he's nonverbal, but we have a way of communicating with him. He does have some language, uh, but uh, he's um, he would be considered very limited verbal, I would say. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I personally like the, the term non-speaking because I feel like verbal kind of implies, not kind of, it implies that you don't have like verbal skills or words or even the receptive language like you said when we know fair and well that just because you cannot physically make your mouth create the sounds to create speech it does not mean that you are not taking in the world or even you don't have the verbal intelligence in your head to reflect as we see so beautifully in Michaela's voice documentary so with the method that works best it honestly it just depends so it some days, Michaela does really well on the iPad, and she prefers the iPad, and she flows effortlessly on the iPad. Um, we are on her best days because every day is different. I'm a yogi, and one thing that we talk about in yoga is every day that you show up to your mat, your body's different, right? That goes with everything with motor. Some days when her body's on fire, and she like you can just see that she's just, uh, it's amazing. Um, we even work on independent typing. So I'm not holding the letter board. The, le the iPad's just on the table and she is just going. And it's the it's amazing. I wish that the world could experience that because the look on her face when she gets those letters, I, I go home and cry a lot. It's just amazing. And there's some days where she needs a little bit extra support and that's okay, right? We're not looking for perfection. And on those days we go to the laminate board. Um, no matter what device I use, all of them have every single letter on the alphabet so that she has infinite ways to create words. And so I think that's extremely important to note that it doesn't matter, laminate board, iPad, some students even use a stencil board because it's more tactile. As long as they have access to every single letter, right. you can make whatever word you, whatever phrase and word you want to, you want to create. Uh, let me ask you this, uh, Manana, you mentioned you have two other kids. And we know that children with autism, as you said, uh, Michaela, in her early years are often isolated. Many of them don't have friends. They don't have a lot of uh, you know, your typical parties that they attend, teenagers going to sleepovers, et cetera. How have you uh, helped create a community 
for Michaela in terms of age appropriate peers? It's been very difficult. Um, I haven't been able to effectively do it. I have definitely tried. <laughs> um, and it always kind of goes left. Uh, and for many reasons. So I would say I'm thankful for our family. I'm thankful that she does have an older and younger sibling. And we have formed this unit in our house where we enjoy traveling and we enjoy, we really enjoy being together. Um, so um, as far as family, we are her friends. Um, she has had the, you know, honor and just kind of thankfulness to be in the same classroom with the same um, um, child for a very long time. Uh, they have parted within the last year. It's so funny. A friend of mine sent me their yearbook from kindergarten uh, with her and the other little girl that have been on this journey together. And her mother has been very instrumental in helping me with resources. And I hope in some way I've helped her as well. But um, outside of that family, I, I honestly could say it has been very hard. And it's one of those barriers that I would love to break down. You know, that's why we have found our we have uh, started our foundation, Michaela Moving Autism, and it is our goal to one day build an autism center, you know, a place for for kids like Michaela to come and just be them. Uh, we used to have a place here in Atlanta called Sensations Therapon, mm -hmm. and it was a place where we could go and just kind of breathe a little easy like Michaela could be Michaela because if you looked at her funny it was your problem because this was a well, center for kids yeah, let me like stop her. you uh Manana. we're gonna run out of time but I want you to know that uh we have built an autism center here in Los Angeles and I would love for you and your husband uh and your family all of hey we come to LA please <laughs> drop me a pin yes, let me know I want to come and visit our center Michaela can hang out and we would yes. love to have the whole family we are out of time I'm so sorry what a, a really inspiring story I can't wait to talk to your husband and uh, one of the other producers of the new documentary called uh, Michaela's Voice a letter to the world uh, good luck with this film and good luck with your daughter and everything that you have going on. The and you as well. You Thank you for sharing and use and talking to us and bringing us to your platform. Absolutely. The next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers in the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580.